Welcome to the Empire Builders Podcast, teaching business owners the not-so-secret techniques that took famous businesses from mom-and-pop to major brands. Stephen Semple is a marketing consultant, story collector, and storyteller. I'm Stephen's sidekick and business partner, Dave Young. Before we get into today's episode, a word from our sponsor, which is, well, it's us. But we're highlighting ads we've written and produced for our clients. So here's one of those. The Swiss must really be confident of victory to include a corkscrew in their army knife. Shower thoughts. Goofy sometimes, but also insightful and sometimes downright brilliant. According to science, 72% of us have our best thoughts in the shower. The other 28% have crappy showers. I'm Aaron Wisman of Ozarks Remodeling, where we specialize in bathrooms. Because a new bathroom ain't just a remodel. It's a better start to your day and better creativity. Get yours at OzarksRemodeling.com. Steven, I've, I've always felt like I was a bad dad because I'm the guy that never got his kids a trampoline. We just well, didn't might, have one. You might feel better after this. Well, maybe. I, you know, I, my mom was a, was a, she was a PE major in college back in the odd somethings. I don't know what, you know, how <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to date yourself. Yeah, she always warned us about how dangerous trampolines were, right? And and uh, then we had all these round ones. And now uh, there's there's a really cool story from a company called Spring Free. Yeah, Spring Free trampolines. And the goal of Spring Free trampolines was to build the world's safest backyard trampoline. And they started back in 2004. And to give you an idea, the success today. Now they're a private company, so it's it's hard to find really good data, but the best I can tell is they sell around 30,000 trampolines a year. And the price point of their trampolines run anywhere from $1,000 to $2,500 a trampoline. They're, they're doing really, really well. They have three stores in Canada, five stores in the United States, and, and plus they deal through a number of dealers. And the thing I love is a Canadian company, but there's a Kiwi connection here. Oh, okay. The inventor of spring-free uh, trampolines is a is a Kiwi from from New Zealand, Keith Alexander, and Keith's dad was an engineer. And growing up, Keith uh, joined the New Zealand version of the Peace Corps, and he also taught for a while. And then he went back to school for engineering in in Christchurch. He went to Canterbury University, and he found he loved it. He did a master's, and then he did a PhD, and he was one of those guys who was like always in the you know shed in the backyard or the garage tinkering tinkering away at things. And when he graduated, he joined an engineering consulting firm and he hated it mm. because what he found was he was working on kind of the things that other people wanted him to work on. And it was about billable hours and all this other stuff. And he would come home at night and he was constantly finding problems and, and trying to solve it. And when he was a kid, he loved trampolines. He just loved the freedom of, of bouncing, you know, on a, on a, on a trampoline mm-hmm. and he went at school and he remembers, you know, you get to do those two or three jumps and then you'd have to get off and he wanted to have one. And he started to notice them being sold in shops. They had it for their children. He said, you know what? I'm going to go out and get a trampoline. And his wife, Katie said, you're not getting a trampoline. They're simply <laughs> not safe. <laughs> she titled it in her inner Dave and said, no. She must have known my mom. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. That's it. But Keith said, I'm not going to be deterred. I'm an engineer. I'm going to research this. I'm going to prove her wrong. I can keep my kids safe on a trampoline. Yeah. So he looked at the research. Guess what he figured out? 
They're not safe. They're not. No. Well, when I was a kid, they weren't. I mean, you you think about that. You were you you only really ever got to jump on them in PE class because they had nobody in their right mind had one at home. Those big rectangular ones that folded up like a trap. Yeah. And you had to have a whole bunch of other school children standing around it to to hopefully push you back on if you, you know, miscalculated. (laughs) Somebody always ended up falling through the springs, though. Yeah, and, and keep in mind, this was also back in the era where we didn't have seatbelts in cars. So safety yeah, yeah. wasn't actually a big high concern. True. Oh, yeah. Break your neck. We'll make another kid. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, you know, he's an engineer who likes to tinker with things, right? PhD, masters, all that other stuff, who loves trampolines, one one for his kids, determine his wife, Katie's right. So his challenge accepted. Gonna well, and and. To, to even be fair, this was in the era past the ones I'm talking about. This is when round trampolines with, with little fences around them actually did exist. It's still dangerous, yeah. though. Yeah, because what he found was there was the steel bars and the gaps in the springs. Yeah. So that's what needed to be eliminated. Now, at this point, he had actually returned to university and was teaching as a professor. And he decided to make this a project. He said this would be a great project to give to the students to, to solve. So he worked with the students and they actually created a prototype. And we have a picture of the final design um, on the website. At the same time, the university had created this program for trying to take uh, ideas that the university was creating and take them out to the marketplace to create you know, income for the universities. Because we've seen lots of, especially in the technology space, universities do that. So, so the university looked at it and they said, he was all excited. He took it to the university, said, let's take this market. University looked at it and said, yeah, dude, not, this, is, this is not even close to ready, this prototype. And uh, they figured you're going to need at least another $50,000 to create uh, a proper prototype. So at that point, he thought, well, the dream, the dream died. Mm-hmm. And then one day the university says, hey, we found a person in Canada who might be interested in investing. So somehow the university came across Steve Holmes, a Canadian businessman. Steve had been involved in a number of small businesses and had sold a few businesses and had some capital and said, yeah, I might be interested in this. And he basically came up with some money and they had the trampoline shipped. They shipped him a trampoline from New Zealand Mm -hmm. uh, to Canada and he set it up in the backyard and the kids loved it. And every kid in the neighborhood loved it, right? So he said, hmm, there's something here. So in 2002, he secured the patent on it. So basically, Steve negotiated with the university uh, on patent rights to have the patent now for this this trampoline. And he decided that he really wanted to promote this and, and test out the marketplace. So he went to the Super Show in Vegas in 2003, which is a big show where all the retailers come to. Okay. And he took a super prominent spot. He hired dancers. He brought his kids and neighborhood kids. And basically they set up the trampoline because they wanted to test what's the size of the marketplace. And, and he came to the conclusion that the market was a five to $600 million um, a year market. And initially his first design actually didn't have an enclosure. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. And what he learned at this was there need to be an enclosure around it for a whole host of, of reasons. And in fact, he had several people 
came up to him and they were told it would need an enclosure. And, and he realized there was no way retailers would carry it without one. But then he had another person come up to him and said, hey, hey, you need an enclosure. I have the patents on closure, so you'll never be able to sell this. Now, he also had a CEO from a large sporting good retailer come up to him and say, this isn't amazing. So from that, they decided they needed to do some research. And the first thing that they decided was many retailers in America decided trampolines were so dangerous, they would not carry it. So their goal was trying to figure out the big retailer who's the most resistant to it and could they get them to carry it. Mm, there you go. Right for, <laughs> right for the big guy. Right for the big guy. And they decided that was Costco. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty conservative. Yeah. And at the time, the president of Costco was Jim Senegal, and he said he would never sell a trampoline. Right. So now their challenge was they need to create an enclosure that didn't infringe on the existing patents. And they wanted to show this again in 2004. So they had this deadline of, of making all this happen. So now they go back to the same show in 2004 and they become a product of the year finalist. So they become really you know, center, center stage, all this extra publicity. And guess what happens? Was Senegal there? Senegal was not there. Oh, but okay. Costco Canada was. All right. Costco Canada bought 400 units for trial. Nice. Now they're in Costco. So Costco Canada gets 400 units on trial. They set the price at $1,000. And basically, Spring Free, you know, lost money on this. And they, mm. and they, they would. You know, it's that classic. We're starting up. We're going to see if people will buy this. Yeah. But yeah. we want to see whether people buy this because price point at that time, $1,000 for a trampoline was by far, you know, the highest price. But what they also offered was this long warranty, a 10-year warranty on everything. Mm. Proving that it was safe. And really what they wanted to see is, is there a market with these 400 units sold? Right. Boom. Sold out like crazy. Now what they needed to do was basically gear up to selling to Costco, but they also knew they needed to drop the price, like their manufacturing costs, because Mm. they kind of had this idea, you know, this is thousand dollar sort of price point is where they need to be. So they found a person to do some manufacturing in China and they protected some real key IP pieces, such as the rods and nets. They continued to make those in New Zealand and then just basically had them assembled in China. So 2005 ends up becoming the next big order. And they're like, they're, they're still burning cash at this point. The spring of 05, Costco orders 3,265 pieces. Okay. Right. Still not profitable, but the concept is getting proven. And from Costco Canada, they go to the UK and they go to Japan. And then in 2007, Costco has their trampoline online. And this online part ends up becoming really quite significant for them. But 90% of their distribution at this point is now Costco. Yeah. So in 2008, they built a factory in China in order to serve Costco. And Costco Canada, Costco UK, Costco online, they are all loving this product. Remember Jim? Remember we talked about Jim? Yeah, yeah. The CEO that wouldn't sell a trampoline. Yeah. So one of the things Jim did, when a new store opened, Jim attended every new store opening mm-hmm. in person. So when the Halifax store opened, they were the buyers were so proud of this trampoline that they put it center stage on the store opening. 
They made it a highlight of the opening. This was May 13th, 2009. And Jim Senecal walked in and lost his unholy mind. <laughs> he didn't know about it? He had no idea this had been flying under the radar. Uh, okay. He had no idea. And he basically turned to the buyers and said, we're never selling another trampoline. Stay tuned. We're going to wrap up this story and tell you how to apply this lesson to your business right after this. How's business? Yeah, good. Why isn't it great? We we were growing 20, 30% every year for five years. Then we went flat in the last three. Growth used to be easy. Now, nothing we do seems to have the same effect anymore. If you're not growing, you're dying, and I can't stand to think we've hit the top and are coming back down. So you build a hell of a castle and you're worried. Maybe it's time to build an empire. Huh? What you got here won't get you to where you want to go. You need a fresh perspective. There's these guys that are looking for business owners just like you. Smart, customer-focused, but with flat sales. What do they do? Build empires, but they don't work with just anyone. You have to be customer-focused. So what exactly do they do? Well, some say they're marketers, but I call them crusaders. Check out their website at empirebuilderprogram.com. Like what you see, set up a meeting. Crusaders, empires, castles. I think someone's been getting so old they're medieval. Empirebuilderprogram.com. Check it out before you become a dinosaur. You mean dragon. No, I mean dinosaur. They were good too, for a while. Sure you want to be just good? Empirebuilderprogram.com. Let's pick up our story where we left off, and trust me, you haven't missed a thing. Steve and Keith were told by Costco we're done. They had been flying under the radar up to that time. Now, Jim had a one-on-one telephone conversation with Steve and explained his position and said, look, we will honor all of our POs up to the end of the month. So we're not going to screw you over on orders. Any orders we put in by the end of the month, we will honor those. So the first thing Steve had to do, remember, 90% of their business, yeah. the first thing he had to do is scramble, get as many orders as he can. He had 14 days to wow. secure as many POs as he possibly could. Now, here's the funny thing is, this ended up becoming great for them. Even though they just invested a bunch of money in building a factory in China, 90% of their business was Costco. Imagine how they feel. Uh, that's, that's kind of a hopeless thing, right? You're, you, you could be dead in the water. Yeah. Now, here's what they knew. They knew their product was safe and fun. They knew their customers loved the product. But they had this little secret asset that they were able to leverage. Remember I said, we're going to come back to the fact that they sold a bunch of stuff online. Yeah. When they were selling online, they were actually the ones fulfilling the order, not Costco. So they basically knew where all their existing customers lived. Oh, okay. So they were able to create a map and they were able to see clusters of their customers. And what they identified from that is that their best marketing was to existing customers. And so they could sell to those neighborhoods. Right. And so they decided to open up their own store. Guess where the first store was? Uh, wherever the biggest cluster was. Yeah, but guess where that biggest cluster was? The biggest cluster was right at the off-ramp to the Costco headquarters. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> so, in, so in late 2009, they opened this store and it's super successful. They blow the doors off. And on top of that, because they're now selling directly to the consumer, massive margins. Not yeah. a little thin Costco margin. They were now getting full margins and they suddenly went from being a business that was struggling with profitability to being highly profitable. 
Nice. And, and they also used this knowledge of where the customers were to establish a dealer network. They were able to completely, completely leverage that. And, and they kept Keith on as the face of the organization because he could talk about the safety and the quality. Mm-hmm. And in late 2010, two years after Costco pulled out, they've grown, they grew to 400 employees. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, 2000, 2013, amazing years. And in fact, they even created a product that had a $2,400 price point. And the stats now are is that they've removed 90% of product-related injuries. They've made videos on safety. They came up with this idea of zero maintenance, zero support for 10 years. So you buy one, you don't have to do anything for 10 years. They'll take care of it. Mm -hmm. And they're now selling, you know, 30,000 years. There are 40 to a $50 million business. That's fantastic. You know, I, I, I think to, to me, one of the big lessons is, is the idea of getting your product somewhere where you can see if people will buy it, right? Will they just try it? And uh, whether they made money at Costco or not, that taught them that people wanted this product and liked it. And then they were able to at least stay there long enough that they got some valuable data as well. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely, and that's a really big deal. We see a lot of times businesses launching and they have a new product and they don't have a methodology for really, like they're like, I know this product's going to work and people are going to love it. Well, until you put it into your customer's hands, you really don't know. Yeah. But they even did learning, you know, before they were ready to sell the product, they took it to a show and they learned you need an enclosure even though yeah. legal wasn't required. And went, okay. And then they learned about the patent problem with the, the enclosure. So they dealt with that problem. Then they got it into a place where they could see a test and it sold out. Awesome. But the thing that really made them the success they are today, and you've heard me say this on other podcasts is the power is with the person who owns the customer. Mm-hmm. They couldn't make money, much money under Costco because Costco had the customer relationship. Yeah. They actually truly became successful when they started dealing directly with the customer. It's fortunate that they were drop shipping for Costco's orders, right? If they hadn't been doing that, they wouldn't have had that data. They would not have had that data. They would have been blind on actually where their customers were. Um, That was the saving grace for them. They were able to go, here's where clusters of customers are. And what we know is if there's one in the neighborhood, somebody in the neighborhood's more likely to buy it because the kids in the neighborhood love it. So we're going to market to those places. We're going to put stores in those locations, you know, and we're going to also use that to be able to talk to distributors. Hey, here, there's already lots of people who have got the product in the area. And when the pandemic came along, they doubled and sold out because, of course, mm. looking for more things to, to do at, at home. But the, the key to them was they were forced into the direct consumer market. The best thing ever happened to them was Costco stopped buying from them. But yeah. they did a lot of hard work. They did a lot of learning and listening to the customers. They have a superior product and the direct-to-consumer market. Those are the things that have made them successful. And they didn't give up at any of those pain points. Those, no, those they, places where, where you could have just, some people would have just thrown in the towel. Yeah, no, they really believed in the future of the business. What they knew was kids loved it. And if you could make it safe, and if you could prove to the parents it's safe, they would purchase it. 
And that's what they believed in and that's what they made happen and that's what they continue to work at. So it, it really is a really neat um, success story. They've sold over a half a million of these trampolines worldwide. So it really is this neat Canadian Kiwi success story. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Please share us, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and leave us a big fat juicy five-star rating and review at Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to schedule your own 90-minute Empire Building session, you can do it at empirebuildingprogram.com.